Let's continue on together. Good to see everybody. King's Church, it's good to see you. I've been away for a couple of weeks, combination of a bit of holiday and a bit of illness, um, but it's lovely to be back amongst you, worshipping with you and um, teaching the Bible to you, which is such a privilege. Um, I never say this often enough probably, but thank you. Thank you for letting me teach the Bible to you. It really is a, a privilege to do. Um, if you're new here, I'm Philip and I'm one of the pastors and we're in the middle of a teaching of the Bible series. We've called it Spotlight. And the heart behind this series is really to ask the, the not insignificant question, what is God like? What is God like? What do you think of when you think of God? What do you think of when you think of God? That's the kind of question we've been asking, and so each week we're shining a spotlight on a particular characteristic of God, so that, in simple terms, we can, we can know him as he is. We can know him as he is. There's, there's lots of time for the activity of the Christian life to be not least making God known to the community around us. There's loads of time for that. There's vision coming up in the autumn as well. We're thinking about the activity of the life of the church. But this series is very much about a bit of a, a, a selah moment, which is the phrase the Bible uses in the psalm. And we just kind of pause and we worship and we look up and we take stock. And so really this is really very much about less about what we do and more about kind of our spiritual gaze being lifted and just beholding God. God as he is, and I'd love us to, to worship him as he is again at the conclusion of this message. So what do you think about when you think of God? What is the word or words or phrases or characteristic or even feeling that comes to mind? And this morning, I want to talk to you about the holiness of God. The holiness of God. And I wondered whether that word did come into your mind. When I said to you just now, what do you think of when you speak, think of God? Whether you're looking into Christianity, you're not quite sure who God is, whether you've been a Christian for, for decades. I wonder what you thought when I said, what do you think of when you think of God? And I wonder how many of us jump to God is holy. That's what we're going to be focusing on in these, in these moments. And the passages I want to, or two passages we're going to base ourselves in. The first of which is, if you want to turn in your Bibles, is Isaiah chapter 6. If you haven't got Bibles, don't worry, the verses will be on the screen behind me. And this passage really is a bit of a kind of inspiration for the whole series. Um, when I last uh, mentioned it, spoke about it, prayed about it, I felt God kind of just really causing the whole series to come out of this particular passage. So it's got a kind of bit of prophetic weight to us, I think, as a church. And I think you're going to see why it's a great passage to base ourselves in. If we just kind of dwell on what does it mean to say that God is holy. The context is that Isaiah lived in the 8th century BC. He was a prophet of God. That means he was kind of a, a mouthpiece of God, a messenger for God. He, he spoke what God wanted to say to the people, often pretty challenging stuff. Isaiah did not shirk tough words by any means. And the people that he's speaking to, people of Israel, have just lost their king, their long-standing king after decades. And Isaiah gets shown a kind of vision, a dream, a, a sort of picture, an image of what God is like like, particularly in, in heaven, what God's like on, on, his, on his throne. It's a remarkable uh, experience that he had, and he writes it down for us, and he writes this, Isaiah 6, verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, angels. Each had six wings. With two, he covered his face. With two, he covered his feet. And with two, he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. 
and the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, woe is me, for I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The holiness of God is absolutely core to who he is. The Bible is full, some 600 mentions in the Bible of the holiness of God. Let me just give you three examples. 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 2. There is none holy like the Lord, for there is none besides you. Exodus 15, verse 11. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you? Because you are majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders. And then in the New Testament, uh, Peter quotes an Old Testament passage, Leviticus, in which God says to the church, be holy because I am holy. It's everywhere throughout the Bible. It's absolutely central to who God is. Everything about him is holy. But what does holy mean? Because it hasn't really got much currency, I guess, in contemporary language anymore. But holiness simply means set apart. It doesn't mean holier than thou, i.e. somebody who's a bit better than somebody else. It's not the meaning of it at all. Holiness means set apart, entirely other and distinct and pure and and a level of purity and majesty which is entirely on a different level. This is the holiness of God. I want to unpack this amazing description that Isaiah gives us of God to help us see what this holiness look like. I want you to notice three things about that Isaiah passage. If you have your Bible still open, that's great. If not, the key, the key phrase is there. I want you to notice three things about the holiness of God in this passage. Number one, the noise that is emanating from the throne room of grace in the heavenly places where God is. In verse four, it says the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called and the house was filled with smoke. Um, a few years ago, or quite recently, I was uh, having some teaching from a guy called Andrew Wilson. Some of you will know he's a church leader and theologian and writer. And he was telling the story as to how he had taught on this same passage a number of years ago, but in a very different context. It's a big marquee with several thousand people uh, in Norfolk. And he said he was teaching about this exact thing about how that Isaiah witnesses the, 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 the very foundations of the heavenly throne room kind of shaking, such as the noise of the worship going on. And he said, as he was, as he was teaching about this, um, the red arrows flew over. They were doing a display at the weekend, and they did a sort of uncommunicated um, kind of flyover in preparation for their display, and apparently flew unusually low over this marquee, making, as you can imagine, the most incredible noise. And he said it was just a moment never to forget because everybody in there just stopped. He stopped talking. It's like, wow, as the whole place almost shook with the noise of these red arrows. Like, oh, wow, we've just had a little tiny glimpse of what's happening in the heavenly places as the songs of the heavenly worship taking place are so loud, the whole thing is shaking. And he said it was like a, like a holy moment almost as everyone just went, Whoo. <laughs> 
to the noise that befits the holiness of God, the worship that's taking place. Second thing I want you to notice is Isaiah's reaction to seeing God and seeing something of the holiness of God and seeing the worship of the holiness of God. Now, if you don't know anything about Isaiah, you need to know Isaiah, like on our kind of, you know, we, we tend to kind of grade people, don't we? We, we do that. We kind of rate people in terms of how well they do in all kinds of different ways. If you were to kind of grade Isaiah as what kind of godly person he was, he's kind of towards the top of the spectrum. He's a pretty impressive guy. He spoke the words of God consistently and courageously and faithfully. He gave everything for, to, to communicate the voice of God to the people of God, that they might make known God to the nations around them through the way in which they lived. He, he challenged them. He got himself in all kinds of trouble. He gave everything for the love of God to his people. He wrote bits of the Bible. So you might think that if Isaiah gets to see something of the holiness of God, he might be something along the lines of, wow, God, that's, that's amazing. Great to see you. You often communicate with me and now I'm seeing you a bit more face to face. Wow, praise God. Did you see what he said? He basically said, he saw, the, he saw God and he basically said, oh no, I'm gonna die. That was his response. Oh no, I'm going to die now. Such is the holiness of God. Isaiah realizes, I can't bring my, my own bits of fallenness and fallibility and my own darkness and my own sin. I can't just bring that into the presence of God and, and expect anything other than just to be kind of vaporized there on the spot. You can't bring darkness into light. Not God's light. Not light that is pure and, and holy and white hot. And his response is, that's it for me. I, I'm not going to live this experience Third thing to notice, because you might think, okay, well, Isaiah, maybe Isaiah actually was a bit more sinful than you realize. Maybe Isaiah had a whole hidden, he didn't, by the way, but you might think, maybe Isaiah was just a lot worse than we realize. Maybe he was far more fallible and fallen. Well, after all, the people of Israel, I mean, they were, can you read the story of the Bible, they were always getting it wrong, always rebelling, always disobeying, always replacing God with created things. Maybe it's just a, a, a reaction of, of somebody who was worse than we thought, or a people who were worse than we thought, or, or somebody with a heavy conscience. Well, notice how the seraphim are responding to the holiness of God. Angels, by the way, are commonly seen throughout the, throughout the Bible, do remarkable things. They, they worship God and they, they do some extraordinary things. They win battles. These seraphim have three pairs of wings. One pair of wings, we're told, covers their feet, which we think is to do with kind of modesty, ancient culture. Second pair of wings they, they, they fly with. And the third pair of wings they use to cover their face in verse four. Why are these seraphim, these supernatural, superhuman, sinless, holy, incredible beings, why are they covering their faces? Why are they designed in order that they would be able to cover their faces? Because they're covering their eyes. They dare not look upon the God they worship. They can cry out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. But they dare look at him, just like Isaiah did. Now these are sinless, spiritual, supernatural, superhuman beings that do incredible things, that win battle. I reckon if there was a seraphim here, we would be terrified, A, and possibly even tempted to worship. And yet these beings 
When they see the holiness of God, they effectively say, I, I can't look on that. It would be like looking into the sun. It'll blind me. It is of a, a brilliance and a heat and a purity and, a, and, a, and an incredible majesty that it is just other. It's not for me to look on. I will sing of it and praise it and worship it forever and a day, but it, it's not for me to look upon. This is the holiness of God. Is that how you see God at all? Is that the God that you came this morning to, to worship before? What would happen if this place was like the throne room of heaven, filled with smoke, that the train of God's robe filled the whole place, that there were seraphim making such a noise in their worship that the whole place was shaking? I, I think we just do what Isaiah did. Instead, we, we just fall flat on our face. In, in worship of a set-apart God who is entirely distinct and other. Okay, well, you might say, well, I, I get that, but that was the Old Testament. That was, that was Isaiah's, before the cross, before Jesus, before the resurrection, before the age of the church. We, we know God as, as Father. We come to him as Christians if we're in Christ confidently and freely and gladly and we're his children. So God is kind of not like that so much. And I bet, although a number of us, we wouldn't say we believe that, I do wonder whether sometimes our, our thought life and our prayer life and our Christian life might suggest that we, we do believe that. So has God changed? Is he not like that so much? Is he less kind of fearsomely white hot holy now than he was when Isaiah encountered him? Let me take you to the second passage of this morning, which is in the book of Revelation. Revelation is a book that causes loads of confusion and controversy and offense. It doesn't need to. It's a wonderful, wonderful book in which John, a disciple of Jesus, gets a vision, a dream, a picture of what heaven is like, and he writes it down for us. And in chapter four, he gets a very similar picture of what the throne room of heaven is like that Isaiah had 800 years before John had it and wrote it down as an old man. See if you can spot the similarities. Revelation chapter four and verse one. John writes, after this, I looked and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice, which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet, said, come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. At once, I was in the spirit. So it's as though John kind of, in his mind, is able to pull back the curtain of what's happening in, in heaven, what's happening in the heavenly dimension. I was in the spirit and behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. And he who sat there, had the appearance of jasper and carnelian. And around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. Just as an aside, you get that a lot in scripture. When people try and describe what God is like, Ezekiel has the same thing, he has a vision. And he basically ends up saying, what I saw is it's kind of a bit like this thing, that's a bit like this thing. That's the closest we can get. He's saying it has the appearance of this, and that's a bit like, that's the closest he can get to describing what he's seeing. Around the throne were 24 thrones, and seated on the thrones were 24 elders, clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. In simple terms, they represent the people of God, past and present. 
Verse five, from the throne came flashes of lightnings, of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder and before the throne was burning seven torches of fire which are the seven spirits of God and before the throne there was as it were a sea of glass like crystal. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures, full of eyes in front and behind. These are representing the angels. The first living creature like a lion, the second living creature like an ox, the third living creature with the face of a man, the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within, and day and night, they never cease to say, holy, holy, Holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was, who is, and who is to come. Holy, he was, he still is, and he still is to come. Now don't get too kind of distracted by the apocalyptic language of Revelation. In fact, let it appropriately dazzle your spiritual minds because John is seeing very something very similar to what Isaiah was allowed to see. This incredible throne room of heaven with in this instance people and angels again, these six-winged seraphim crying out the same song of worship, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is to come, i.e., they're saying, we can text with this morning, the same God that Isaiah saw and fell flat on his face before, he's the same God today and he's the same God forever. God hasn't dialed down his holiness Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And again, you've got these angels with their six wings, one pair of which covers their eyes and they're singing this without ceasing every single day and night forever. And the noise is so spectacular. It's like thunder and lightning are are, are kicking off all around. The place is shaking. It must be incredible. That's why the author has to say it looks a bit like this, it looks a bit like this because they haven't got the language for it. That scene is taking place now. And, and will take place forever. Just, just try and picture that for a moment. That's happening in these moments. That's what God is like. He hasn't become less holy. All of God's attributes, all of his characteristics exist in their fullness all of the time including his holiness. You see, in our bid to understand and explore and apply that the love of God, the, the intimacy that we're invited into, the friendship with God that Jesus makes possible, the, the sonship of God that Jesus makes possible, in our bid to, to fully understand that and to, to dwell in it and live in the good of it, sometimes I think we can downplay the holiness of God We can feel our God's got more loving and accepting and kind and gracious. And that's his dominant attribute. And he's still holy, but but maybe it's just not quite as it was. He's just as holy as he's ever been. So much so that these angels who are around him in some way and are continually singing of his holiness every single day and night are not gonna look on it. Because it'd be like looking at the sun. Do you notice that 
They're not singing, love, love, love is the Lord God Almighty, though God is love. They're not singing, faithful, faithful, faithful is the Lord God Almighty. They're not singing, anger, anger, anger is the Lord God Almighty, though God experiences anger. We'll look at that in two weeks. Don't miss that. They're singing, holy, holy, holy (laughs) is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come and is happening continually all of the time. Do you see God like this? No matter whether you've been a Christian for a long time, a short time, or you're looking into whether you want to be a Christian, do you see God as so holy and other and utterly pure and majestic and sinless and set apart that it is beyond contemplation, that in and of myself I could just wander up to him. We can't just bring the, the, the darkness that we all possess and just approach a, a white, holy God. It doesn't work like that. God doesn't, as the Bible says, or I'm paraphrasing, the Bible doesn't, God doesn't wink at evil. And we all carry evil in some ways. We all carry darkness in some ways. We all carry both the effects of our own brokenness and those of others upon us. And a God who is this white hot that even sinless holy angels don't look at him is not one that we can just wander up to and say, hey God, I've got some questions for you. So how do you see God? I was really encouraged this morning when um, I just was reading Bible first thing this morning just for my own, my own time and just in Matthew 6 and reflecting on um, the Lord's Prayer, just the first line, our Father who is in heaven. That's how Jesus teaches us to pray. I was like, there it is. That's it. Surprise, surprise. Jesus knew what he was talking about. The first line of, the, of this prayer is it. Our Father who is in heaven. Our Father, who, if, when you're in Christ, who loves us, who welcomes us, who adopts us, who, who thinks more of us than we could ever imagine or describe, who is in heaven, the heaven that we just heard about in Isaiah and Revelation. There it is together. Father, heaven, tender, sovereign, loving, vast, kind, fearsome. He's all of these things together. And I'm worshipping him for it. It's a fine line, I think, between as a Christian approaching God as father, as a, a welcomed, loved son and daughter, eagerly, joyfully, peacefully, as we are with all of our stumblings and continual brokenness. It's a fine line between that and, and casualness. Easy to slip into being a bit casual about God. That's why we're doing a series like this, so we can see him as he is in his different characteristics and attributes. If God is like Isaiah and John saw him, there's no place for us to be casual with him. He's not to be trifled with. The best kind of image of this that I think I've, I've seen, and again, it's, I feel like a bit like a John and Isaiah saying, this thing that I've seen, it's kind of the appearance of the appearance of the appearance of what God might be like. Simon Virgo used to lead the church there. He used to use this a lot. It's very helpful. It's the scene in, in Chronicles of Narnia with Aslan. And if you know the story, you know that when the, uh, the children hear about Aslan, this, this figure that might be coming back to get rid of winter and to bring summer and to restore the creation and to defeat evil, 
they say, um, or Susan says, well, who is this? And Mr. and Mrs. Beaver say, Aslan is a lion, the lion, the great lion. Oh, said Susan, I, I, I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. But he's good, I tell you. And uh, I, I love this image of how that kind of comes together with, I think it's Lucy rather than Susan, but that sense of God being a lion and the Bible describes him like that. God has, he has, a, he has a, a mane and he has teeth and he has claws and you do not trifle with a lion as the witch finds out in Narnia. Evil has no place anywhere near him and no chance to exist around him. But when you know him, when you've been welcomed into his family, into his orbit, when you've been given his love and made holy, then, then you can bury your head in his mane. You can know the tenderness of God. You can embrace him and know his embrace and know that, and know that he's utterly, utterly good. And he's still a lion. Aslan didn't become any less fearsome and strong and mighty and utterly opposed to evil. He just came to draw people to himself. And that's helped me. I hope it helps you a little bit to, to, to try and think of the holiness, the otherness, the set-apartness of God. But not so that we leave here going, oh my goodness, well, if Isaiah can't approach God, then how, then how, what's my, I've got no hope. That's not the application of this. But a few uh, months ago, I was, I was, I can't even remember what I was praying about or what I was reading about particularly, and that doesn't happen to me very often, and I would love it if it happened more. But I, I just remember thinking, I just need to, I just need to be on, I just need to face down. <laughs> there was something about God that just hit me in the moment of just personal encounter with him that all of us are invited to. I was like, God is just incredible. He's holy, he's white, hot, he's pure. I, I just need to get on my face, just in my little living room, which I hadn't turned out, I hadn't hoovered for a long time. It's really dirty. <laughs> but I was like, it's just, in this, that moment, I don't know what I was reading about, what I was praying about. I just remember thinking, wow, God, I just need to be on my face before you. And I, I would love more of those moments. I really would. Because then you realize everything just fits in, life just fits into place. It's like, wow, if God is like this. Why do I get sucked into hours on my phone? <laughs> Why do I get worried about so many things? Why do I speak to people in ways that don't honor them or honor God? Why do I waste time? Why do I worry about what people think of me? Like, wow, God is like this. It's just enough to glimpse him round the corner and worship him. I'll do that forever, that's enough. Like life just kind of slots in its place. Just to kind of begin to close with this, a different kind of a sermon for me. I'm not as ordered as I am normally. I'm just jumping around a bit. If God has not changed then, he is the Holy One 
who was and is and is to come. If the throne of heaven that Isaiah saw is the one that John saw and the one that anybody that comes to God through Christ will enjoy forever, if that hasn't changed, then what's changed? Or to put it a different way, why does Isaiah react like he does and John, who sees something very similar, doesn't react in the same way? Why does John not say what Isaiah said? Well, because Isaiah was looking ahead to something John had experienced himself. Isaiah constantly predicted the arrival of Jesus. John met Jesus, knew Jesus, put his faith in Jesus. In having burning coals put to his lips, Isaiah was, without knowing it, pointing us to one, towards the one who wouldn't just taste pain, but would taste death. Not for his forgiveness, but for ours. Isaiah lived under a, a system of temple and priests. He knew that it was up to the high priest to represent him in the inner sanctuary where God's holiness dwelt and the high priest would go in there and a sacrifice would be offered and it would be on behalf of all people who were all fallen and that blood sacrifice, that death, that punishment, that would, would cover all the people of Israel for another year. Isaiah lived under that system. John knew that the last high priest had been the ultimate high priest had come. And this high priest, Jesus Christ, didn't just go and offer a sacrifice, he also became the sacrifice. And as a result, we're told that the temple curtain in the, in, in the temple was ripped in two forever. And anyone, like John, because he knew this, who puts their faith in Christ becomes united to Christ. The Bible says that he who knew no sin became sin, i.e. he that was holy became our unholiness. He took it upon himself and instead gave us his holiness, clothed us in it. Paul's favorite language in the New Testament for being a Christian is not a Christian is somebody who does these, these things, these things, these things. He says a Christian is somebody who is in Christ. That's his favorite phrase, in Christ, united to Christ, clothed, robed, crowned in his righteousness, his holiness, his perfection, his acceptance in the eyes and the family of God, and you have that. That's what's changed, and John knows that. So John can, can see the holy God being worshiped by Sarah from who didn't even look at him, and John can effectively keep looking at that and say, I'm, I'm going there, I'm heading there. And the Bible talks about a Christian as being a temple of the Holy Spirit, a place where the holiness of God dwells. If you'd have told Isaiah that, the idea that one day the holy God that he saw fell down before and would never have dreamt of entering into the, into the inner sanctum of the holy temple to meet, if you'd have told him that God will come and live in, presence his very self spiritually within people, imperfect, fallen, fallible people, I'm not sure he would have known what to make of it. But that is the profundity, that's the utter, that's the offense almost of the gospel, that the Holy One who is set apart comes to dwell with messy people and then through sheer grace makes them holy, makes them, you, Christian, fitting places for this God to come and dwell. And the same with the church. The church is also the temple of God. This God 
at the moment, day and night, without ceasing, that seraphim are crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, and not even daring to look, and doing that with such volume and passion and worship that the whole place is shaking. That God says, I want to come and live within you. Not because you scrubbed yourself down, that even, you wouldn't even make a start. Because I've made you Holy. You are in Christ, in his holiness, in his righteousness, in his perfection. So when Peter gives this exhortation to Christians, be holy because I am holy, he's quoting Leviticus. He's not saying, come on Christians, do some good, be moral, do these things. He's saying, that's what you are now. Your temples, your holy, clean, pure, spotless vessels in which God is pleased to come and presence himself. So why would you be anything else other than who you are, holy? Now I'm all for exhorting us to live obedient, sacrificial, costly lives, pursuing holiness, obedience to Jesus, passionately uh, getting rid of any stain of, of unholiness in our lives. I don't want you to leave here and try and be holy. I want you to encounter the Holy One who's made you holy. When I had my little experience on the, on the dirty floor that time, when you get up from an experience like that, you don't think, oh, how am I going to make sure that what I look at on my phone is healthy and I don't look at anything I wouldn't, I'd rather not look at? It's not how you think. You just think, wow, God, you're like this. And you're, you dwell within me and I'm within your family. I want to go and live with you. I live for you. So if you have the proclivity to, to go and try hard and be moral and be holy and urge others to do so, I want to encourage you, just put that to one side. Come and encounter every day the Holy One himself. And equally, if your proclivity is more kind of, well, God's just, he's just pretty cool with things. He's, he turns a blind eye to this and that. I'm a Christian after all, so he, you know, he's not too bothered about a little bit of greed here and there. Have you seen what this God is like? Have you seen how Isaiah responded to him? Have you seen how the seraphim responded to him? That's, that's just a casual approach to, to sin in our lives. It's just illogical, apart from anything else, when you see what God is like. Be holy because I am holy is not an urge to moral living. It's an urge to come to the Holy One through the Holy One, the one who can make you holy and begin to bring about such change in your life that people will start to say about you, what is happening? Why do you make these choices in your life? Why do you use your body, your time, your money, your power, your influence, your resources? Why do you use them in this way? Well, because there's this God who came and met me and showed me his love and forgiveness and he's brought me into his family and he's put his own spirit within me and somehow he's He's with me and he's changing me and he, he's got a message of hope for the world around me. Be holy because I am holy. Loads more I want to say, but I would love us to worship. I would love us to practice what I've just preached and encounter the Holy One. So could the band come and join me? Let's worship him. Let's exalt him. Let's join in with the, the worship of heaven that's taking place. What a privilege to be able to do that. What a privilege to be able to cry out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty.
Let's be expecting for God to speak to us and through us to see spiritual gifts at work come and bring things at the front that are gonna help us. If this God dwells within you, if he loves you so much that he's forgiven you, cleansed you, made you a new person, I think it makes sense that he would communicate to you I want to use you. So let's expect to encounter him, shall we? Let's stand. Lord God, we, we worship you now. We are amazed by the God that we worship. This is not a small God. This is not a trifling God. This is not a God who can just be kind of categorized in a box or two and brought out when we need him. <laughs> we thank you that you are entirely other and majestic and indescribable almost. We're amazed to think of the worship that takes place in the heavenly realm right now. We're amazed to think that you would come and present yourself in a church, in a, in a Christian. We're amazed to think that you would take people like us and make us acceptable temples for your spirit to come and dwell. God, we thank you. You are loving and you are holy. And because of Jesus, we get to step into that beautiful hybrid of a God with fearsome holiness like Aslan and a God with a mane that we can bury our head in and embrace and love and hear from and live for and be safe and protected by. We're amazed by you, God, and we worship you. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Amen.